Hey, Senda. Hey, so for tonight's topic, um, we have... Whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Um, That's not how we start the show. Yeah, so since we're doing a show about strong openings and strong endings, I thought we might just want to, like, get right into it. Like, you know, get to the monkey, in media res, let's just start off strong. Yeah, no, 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 no. People, people like the music part. They like the music. I mean, we can do the music part. It's just that it takes. I like the music you know, part. We're on a time limit here. Okay, we let's are, do the music. But this is a podcast, not a not a <laughs> not a role playing game. All right. In that case, cue, cue music. music. And welcome to another fine episode of Panda's Talking Games. I am your host who likes to start strong, Phil. (laughs) And I am your other host, Senda, who likes to end strong, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's the topic. Yeah, no, no, I know. But I'm, I'm thinking about it personally in terms of context. And I'm like, I feel like my endings are maybe not always as strong as my beginnings. But, you know. That's an ADHD thing. You start strong and then you. (laughs) I am the little engine that could. I know my follow through is not always on point. Anyway, anyway, before we jump into today's actual topic, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to do, um, which is that I am going to be out of town when we would normally record next week. So there will be no episode next week. We, we, we live dangerously. We live with no backlog. Every time you hear an episode, it's because we recorded it that Saturday, sometimes that Sunday. Anyway, um, I am not going to be home. And sure. so we will not be recording. So just to run through the numbers for you, um, this episode will drop on the 9th, right? Because we drop on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you will get an episode on the 9th. You will not get an episode on the 16th. That is the one we will not be recording. And then we will return to the airwaves or internets, so to speak, on the 23rd. This is Editor Ryan interjecting just a little bit. It looks like Phil might have been looking at a calendar one date off and might have just accidentally riddled down the roll for all the Thursdays this month. So I'd just like to correct this episode, obviously coming out on Wednesday the 8th, and we will be skipping the 15th, which will be next week, Wednesday, and coming back on the 22nd of March. Uh, That's what's coming up. Thank you. Back to you, Phil and Senda. Correct. Yes. Okay. Cool. That's just everybody's. I like. Cool. I like to give people dates for those. So. Yes. Yes, we should do dates because otherwise, you're like, oh, I'm listening to this a week late. Which episode did they not load? Right. Right. Yes. That's you, good. the organized one. It's <laughs> me, the project awesome. manager. There's always a calendar nearby. <laughs> There's always a calendar. Um, awesome. So. Today's topic is about beginnings and endings, as you might have gleaned from our opening. Um, So we received a message from Robin via email that said, Hi both, when I run a one-shot, my beginnings and endings tend to be weak. I think I can improve the beginnings by giving more thought to them during prep. Um, though I, though if you gave any advice on that, I'd love to hear it. Uh, I'm not sure how to improve the endings note though. I never know what my players are going to do. So it seems like I can't plan them the same way. Is this something you could discuss on the podcast? Yes. 
Yes. Great topic. Thank you. Yes, it is. Yeah, um, absolutely. We're going to definitely talk about this. We both have experience, obviously, running one shots. Uh, We run them a little differently, not always differently, but I have run them a few different ways from some prepped ones to some improv ones. So uh, there are ways there are ways to stick the ending um, with either method. You don't have to just improv. There are ways with story structure and things like that that you can kind of you can be sure you know what the ending is. And we'll get into this in a little bit, but maybe not how the ending is. Um, yes. So cool. We'll we'll dig into that a little deeper. So anyway, um, beginnings and endings. Beginnings and endings are a thing unto themselves. Just yes. in general, how to get a good session started and how to end a good story uh, is always a thing that I think the GMs are working towards. I, I don't want to say struggling, but I think that it's it's work to make sure that your game starts strong, make sure that you have like a really cool ending to your story. But I think when you throw in one shot, yes. this gets to be um, a little trickier. The challenge level increases, right? Yes. Just because when you're working with a one shot, you are talking about a limited time frame. And this is the kind of stuff we used to talk about all the time, right? Like, Yeah, this was like, this was like, this is OG, like original show, like (laughs) content here. Right? Like this is, this is OG pandas right here, but you are just working on a specific time range. Your time is limited um, and you have to start from the beginning with nothing and get all the way to an end within that very specific and limited time frame. So it just, as a GM, it just increases the challenge rating of running of this game, right? Like it just goes up. <laughs> it's a higher which level all- encounter to run this game. <laughs> exactly. Which is also to say that the advice that we're going to give here while we are tailoring it towards one shots really is applicable to, uh, campaigns as well like you really like everything that we're talking about what goes into a good start and what goes into a good ending those are all going to be true we are also as a sneak peek at the end we're going to talk about a little time management and that will be very specific to a one shot yeah and there's some of you know there's some other tips and tricks that like you you could absolutely implement in a campaign they will be less key in a campaign than they will in a one shot just because you can be a little looser with your time management, right? So mm-hmm. take all the bits that make sense for the situation you're running in. This is tailored for one shots. Uh, go from there. <laughs> cool. Anyway, um, do you want to start us off with what makes a strong beginning? Yeah, I mean, like, here's what a strong beginning gives you, right? Yeah. Like a strong beginning gives you, first, it gives you emotional investment, right? We want players right out of the gate, right? We want players to be feeling the game, like not yeah. just playing the game, but feeling it. And I'm not talking, it, it doesn't have to be bleed. It can be excitement. Well, I guess bleed, mm-hmm. you should say, let me back that up. Yeah, it's sure. not to say you have to be feeling sad, right mm-hmm. out of the gate, but we want you to be feeling something, excitement, tension, um, a sense of accomplishment, but like something we want to get, like we want that we want the game to start off with emotions because emotions are going to help drive your players. Yeah, uh, We want to create an interest at the player focus level, right? So, you know, go back to our talk on levels and things like that, but we want our opening to uh, pull our players 
into paying attention to the game. Um, we may even want to, um, if we're, if we've, if we craft them, um, skillfully enough, we can even pull them into the character level and get them thinking in the minds of their characters. But at the very least, we need to, we're with our opening, we have not been playing the game. Now we are playing the game and we want to get a pull everybody's attention into the game, away from their phones, away from the outside world into the game. Uh, and a good, strong beginning helps to uh, set the pace for the adventure and helps set the tone of the adventure. Yeah. Cool. So those are the things that a strong beginning gives you. Those are the things that when we get in, in a little bit, when we get into talking about advice, those are the things that we're trying to build towards. Emotional investment, player interest, and pace and tone. Yep. So yeah. what does a strong ending give you? Yeah, strong ending. I mean, I know what a strong ending gives me. <laughs> wow. I knew that that was going to come up. I feel like it's not yeah, even did. the only time. I feel like this. we should put a, a disclaimer on this show. Anytime we talk about story structure or endings, like it is PG-13 or, or maybe R. I don't know. I could anyway. not avoid. I could not resist such an <laughs> obvious like... I know, and the Sorry. word climax is in the notes later, so I feel like, anyway, moving right along, moving right along. Moving along. A strong ending gives you. <laughs> um, the things we're trying to get out of it are a strong sense of closure, right? The satisfaction of that ended story, the closed loops, all the things that we opened to uh, to create problems. We want to have the resolution, whatever that looks like, because it gives us the feelings of satisfaction. And then the climax for your story. <laughs> um, <laughs> anything to say? No? Just going to give no, me a look? I, no, no, just I checking. Will, let me just say, for sense of closure, right? Um this is the kind of checkoff gun kind of stuff. Like if you have built something up in the game uh, in people's heads, they are waiting for that loop to be closed. Uh, if you have, um, if you have opened a bunch of loops throughout the game, right. And you don't close some of them, people will be like, Oh, okay. The game's over. But like, what about that thing? What about that thing? Right. right? Like, because we we mentally hold on to these loops until we see them close, right? And yes. this is this is the whole thing with Chekhov's gun, right? If you if you hang the gun up on the wall, your brain is like, what what's going to happen with the gun? Why? What are we doing? <laughs> right? Like, why, why are we showing? There? Why are you showing me the gun? Right? Yep. And then the rest of the time, in the back of your head somewhere, there's a part of your brain that is like checking on where's the gun. Um, yeah. So that sense of closure is what we want to close up and fix up in the ending is like we want to close all those loops and put them away. Yeah. And that's because okay. that's how we get that satisfaction. Um, yes. And, and then but then back to the climax of the story, that's sort of our big um, in a one shot. It's usually really fun not absolutely required, but to have everything kind of come to that head and then be able to move on from that point because everything is yep. going to kind of get to that intense point. That's the climax of your in kind of intensity for that game. And then we get to resolve all those loops and, <sighs> right, in whatever yep, way, absolutely. whatever that looks like for this particular game and style of story. Yep. Cool. 100%. So cool. Let's. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some tips, uh, starting with tips for strong beginnings. Yes. And uh, 
are, if you're good, I would, I would like to, um, I'd like to grab this first one. Sure. And then ping pong through it. Sounds great. Cool. All right. So the first one that we have on our list here, and again, these, this list is in no particular order whatsoever. And as always, buffet rules apply. Take what you, take what you need out of this buffet. Um, the first one, and I am a stickler about this for my one shots, is have a tight script for your session zero material. I am an advocate, especially if you're playing in a convention game, that we are going to spend a little time at the beginning of the game having what would amount to what I would do for a campaign as a whole session to do session zero. So in order to make that efficient, I actually script this. Uh, and I do it with bullet points. I don't write. I don't write it all out because I'm, um, after years of podcasting, I'm super good uh, going off of bullet points. You know, translating bullet points into sentences. But I have for all of my uh, prepped one shots that I've brought to conventions over the years. I have a script for the session zero material, which includes a brief cats uh, section, a safety section, and some words about the setting. And it and I keep it tight, but I make sure that one, uh, it's compact so I don't spend too much time on it. Two, I don't miss anything, right? It's scripted so I don't accidentally skip over a safety item or something like that. Uh, and if I'm really worried about it, I can kind of do a dry run through and see how much time it takes to get through it. Um, which when we talk about time management for one shots in a little bit, we'll get back to that. And I just was going to add, um, I do something similar, but I, I, um, I tend to be running games that, um, what I need to know from my table is not necessarily to feed them, um, a setting, but if they have played in this kind of space before, right? Like if I sit down and I'm sitting at a table with, um, a bunch of people and I'm going to run a magical girls game, the question might be, are you experienced with like, do you have any experience with the magical girl genre at all? Or do I need to talk through it? Right. Yeah. Because that stuff is out there. Those tropes are out there. So, um, which is a little bit different from, um, you know, hydro hackers where no one who hasn't played hydro hackers before has any idea what that setting is because it is a brand, like it's a, it's sort of a new thing. Um, so, so sometimes, sometimes it looks like, you know, making sure people understand the basics of the settings. Sometimes it's just going around the table and being like, Hey, what's your favorite magical girl? And then when people can respond to me, that gives me a really good idea of where we are. But when someone says, I don't know, or something, I say, awesome. Um, let me find some other reference points that tell you kind of what the tone and stuff of this game look like, um, so that we can still have that conversation. Right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I was just going to throw that out there. It's just depending on what kind of game you're running. Yeah, your session yeah. zero, your session zero material will depend on the game you're running. But Absolutely. yeah, for certain, like because some of the things I have run is Hydra Hackers. I, you know, when people show up to the table and are like, "Is this the plumbing game?" Yes. You know, I have to be like, I have to be like, yeah, yeah and you, I need to explain enough of the world to you in yeah, order for us to play move forward. Yeah. yeah, A, that you can play this game and B, that you can understand the problem I'm just going to present to you in the context Correct. of the game, right? Because yep, otherwise absolutely. it won't work. <laughs> All right, so that, that's number one. That's our number one tip. Tight script for your session zero material so that you don't forget anything and you move through it efficiently. Yeah, and the next one is to provide enough setting to start, which is um, 
in in your script, and I have used your script to run Hydro Hacker games, right, as a one shot, um, is part of that initial initial um, script, so that you, like we just said, so that you understand enough setting to get started. Or depending on the game, it might be going around the table and being like, I'm running an aliens game. Have you seen an aliens movie? Right? Like, are we on the exactly. same page or do we need to stop and talk about this? You know? Um, and, and either answer is fine. Right. Um, but enough setting that everybody's on the same page to start. Right. But not an essay. But not an essay. <laughs> yeah. What you, what you don't want to do is have like, a full page or two of setting material that you're reading to your players. You want to give them for the opening, you want to give them a highlight and it's okay if later in the session, you need to provide more setting information. Like you mm -hmm. don't have to hit them with the fire hose at the opening of the game and then, you know, expect them to retain it. One, they won't. Um, and two, what it, 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 it makes the beginning so slow. Like yeah. it is much better to just have like a few bullet points and a few sentences about it, jump in, start playing. And then along the way you could fill in more setting information. Yeah. If there's stuff that you need to fill in, fill it in. Yeah. Like yeah. for instance, the, a thing I will never do when running Hydra hackers is I will never tell you the history of yeah, no. how, <laughs> like of how we got to where we are. The book has some history in it. Right. Mm -hmm. But in order, it's not necessary for us to play. What you need to understand is there is no free drinkable water. It's all controlled by this thing called the Water Authority, which is a combination. It is the worst combination of a software company, cable company and a government institution. Yes, that is almost enough. I usually yeah, have a few bullet points beyond that, but that is almost enough for us to get started. Yeah. You need to know a little bit about like how you rate water quality. Correct. And then like go right <laughs> yeah and, and i will add to that session that session zero thing if you have to add some um rules explaining in you know you should do it up there as well all right anyway right. uh number three on our list is um for a good strong beginning make it personal now this is tricky because make it personal in a one shot is tough when you are either handing out characters or if we're playing a pbta game people are just kind of um grabbing a playbook and going now with PPTA games, they often help with this because there's often some sort of uh, mechanic or process in the game that links all the players together. That is the part that helps make it personal. Um, I will give an example when I, again, I'll use Hydra Hackers as an example. When I run Hydra Hackers, the, before we start playing, the question I ask all the players is, why do you do this? Like yeah. this is legitimately, this is a thing that will get you killed. Like yeah, this the water is authority will kill you. Dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Like, so yes. why are you doing this? And, and players will come up with these, you know, great things like, oh, uh, my parents, you know, got tainted water um, and died. And so I have a grudge against them or, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of my grandmother and she just, you know, she never has enough water, those kinds of things. And those questions are the input that you use to then make it personal. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you then start framing scenes and when you're ad-libbing, you pull in those items. But I almost always in a one-shot will ask some question to get it to be personal. Like, tell me why you are doing this or what, you know, it might be something like you have all been screwed over by Baron Von Badass what did Baron Von Badass take from each of you? Yep. 
Or it could even be like, how do you, like, you all know this person. How do you know them and why do you care about them? Exactly. Then they're dead. Like they, yeah. we start the game yeah. with them dead, right? Like exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that, but that question helps, right? Because we are looking for emotional investment and we're looking to generate player interest. And so, uh, if you have a reason, if a, a good player takes their hook and works works it into their game, so yeah. by giving them an opportunity to create a hook a good player will will take it and use it as well. You can also use it to make things personal during the game. Yeah. And I like open-ended questions for that kind of thing because it also lets people kind of manage their level of um, comfort in terms of game commitment. I love people who commit all the way, but if someone doesn't feel comfortable in whatever that circumstance is and they just want to be like, oh, I uh, I bought my coffee from that guy every day. And like, that's the relationship that you want to have to this game because it's more comfortable for you emotionally to have that bit of distance instead of being like, he was my brother, right? Like, okay, cool. Like you are deciding the level of emotional investment that you are comfortable putting into this game, but whatever it is, you've decided you're committing to it and you have to like, that's, that's you committing to the game. Anyway, so I, I do like to make it also a thing that people basically have some some control over just from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, that's just a thought. Uh, the fourth point that we have on here, and this this was our joke at the beginning, right? Open in media res or very close to the action. And we've talked about this when we've talked about pacing before, where um, when you need a game to go faster, you cut you cut in the beginnings of scenes and stuff closer to the action. You don't drive across town to the warehouse. You start as you're knocking on the door of the warehouse kind of thing, right? Um, And so this is one of those times that it's very important both for time management that you can, you know, keep things moving and, and concise, but also from the perspective of getting things moving really quickly, don't at the very beginning of a one shot, give your characters, you know, don't start, five people in five different places around town and then say, hey, you all need to meet at this bar and then like spend time with everybody, you know, being like, oh, well, I'm going to hop on a bus and then let's have an awkward conversation because we don't really know each other, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like this is one of those times when you really want to start close to the action so that people immediately have something to do, um, something clear to do that they understand that is an immediate problem and that will then hopefully introduce, you know, your problems going forward. Yeah, I will, um, I will tack on to that, that unless the one shot story that you're telling benefits directly from the players, not already being a group, make them an established group. Yes. Like eliminate, (laughs) eliminate the awkwardness where no one knows anyone. Like you can simply start and be like, yes, you have all been an adventuring crew for like the last five years. You are all good friends. You have saved each other numerous times from all manner of danger or stuff like that. And you are on your way to, you know, this town when dot, 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 right? Like that eliminates, it, it eliminates the, do we trust each other? Do we know each other? How do we meet? Like, just like toss it. You're just, you're burning minutes on that. If you're going to spend time on it, go back to that open-ended questions um, section and sure. ask them the questions so that they can create that history themselves. And then you can do it in like 10 or 15 minutes and you're not spending awkward time. You're spending collaborative, creative energy, game time that is building towards working 
as a team together, right? Exactly. Instead and of awkward sitting in a tavern time. <laughs> right. Literally only do it if it if, if the if the story you're telling is five strangers come together, dot dot dot. Yes. Only do it for that. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, so yes, close to the action, already a group, right? Yep. Cool. Uh this next one is um this next one is also contributes towards emotional investment and player focus, which is uh get the dice rolling as soon as possible, uh, but make them look good. Like you don't mm-hmm. want your first battle uh, to be like grinding them into the ground. I will note that there are exceptions to this where maybe you want to start your story with a, um, you know, botched job or you've been routed and you're on the run, whatever. But short of those things, um, the give them some opening action Keep the DCs low. Keep the opposition difficulty low. Let them shine for a bit. I will highlight the um, Avengers 2 opening. Um, is a great moment of just the players just kind of looking awesome. Right? Mm-hmm. Like for like 10 minutes of that opening, those players just look awesome. And they just, you know, they're not that they don't meet some opposition, they do, but we get a chance to really like enjoy them, like, you know, busting up stuff, using their powers, that kind of thing. So I do that because um, players get more invested when they get successes. And I'm not saying always give them successes, but if you want to draw them in early, let them have some early wins. Early wins psychologically feel good. Early losses. Um you really got to work the tone of the game to to capitalize on early losses. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's it's harder to get people immediately invested if the first thing that happens is they lose. Um, Correct. Like, it, it's just harder, right? That there doesn't mean you can't... Yeah. doesn't mean you can't do it. There are definitely stories where... Um, we just can't say the thing. You go. <laughs> there are definitely stories where that does work with an opening loss. But again, you are doing something very specific. It, much like the, the rule where we said don't have them not know each other. The same thing. Like don't have them lose unless you are doing something very specific about opening with a loss. Yeah. And even, for example, if you're like, you're going to start this game um, you know, fighting your way out of a dungeon in which you've been imprisoned, you don't have to play the part where they got caught. Like you can just Correct. bypass that. They don't have to lose first, get in the dungeon and then fight their way out. Just start with fighting their way out. It's actually Lady Blackbird starts there, right? Like you start in a yep. prison cell and it's great. <laughs> exactly. but, but we don't play the part where you end up in the prison cell. That's not an uplifting place to start. You start with getting out of the prison cell. Exactly. Anyway. Good. Moving right along. Um, So our last point here is that the first scene, the first thing that you play should make it clear what this game or this session is about, right? So what is the big thing that we need to solve or fix or stop, whatever that looks like? This needs to be the scene that both gets them started and introduces them quickly to the big question, how are you going to solve X? Yep. What are you going to do about it? Exactly. Um, and, and the reason for that is, again, we're talking about one shots, right? If you are running a multi-session, you know, campaign or whatever, you don't have to immediately go from the opening to like getting them on the right track. But if you're doing a one shot, you really don't want to waste your time with, you know, the players then going off and doing something that's not 
uh, germane to the story. Yeah, I think the thing we've said this before in previous episodes when we used to talk about one shots and campaigns a lot. The thing to remember about one shots, um, both just in general and from the perspective of beginnings and endings, is that where a campaign is a TV series and it may have like, you know, episodes that go off over here. We're going to go do a shopping trip or whatever it is. And we can have a slower opening where we introduce people slowly and, um, you know, maybe spend two or three um, episodes, you know, slowly bringing people into the party or whatever it is. Like you don't have that time in a movie. We got to get off the ground. We got to get running. We got to do it really quickly because we've only got this short period of time to tell this story. So we are less likely to spend like a really long time doing that ramp up and introductions when we could hit the ground running and start going. Um, Anyway, yeah. So basically, remember movie rules instead of TV series rules. Exactly. Cool. Good. Um. All right, I think that covers our that covers our tips for good solid beginnings. Uh, and again, just to kind of recap that we want to come out of the beginning with a, some level of excitement, having done some action, we want to get the you know blood pumping, the dice rolling kind of thing, and some idea of where to go next. Yeah, your your players shouldn't leave that opening scene going, "What do we do?" Right. <laughs> it should yeah. be yeah. clear, not necessarily exactly what they do. Like it, it shouldn't necessarily be clear. Like then they will get into the car and they will drive down this street and do X, Y, Z. But it should be clear what the problem is so that they can take immediate continuing action on that issue. Yep. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. All right. So strong endings. Yep. Yeah. So this is a whole list of tips, just like we had for strong <laughs> beginnings. Um, why don't you start? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I will say this from a prep point of view. I think there's a way to do this as well from a um, ad lib point of view, but have a set piece climax. You, um, I'll break this down with a little subtlety here. Um, what I mean by that is you should, your game should end the ending portion of your game should have a climax to your story. There should be something big that happens. And in role-playing games, that is almost inevitably some sort of big combat. It could be a heist. It could be a hack, depending on your game. But it is often some sort of big challenge. And what I mean by big is, I mean, like, everybody's involved. This We'll get into some of the other ones in a second about stakes and stuff like that. Um, but it's big. Uh, If you are prepping your game, maybe you know what this is. Like, maybe you know it's the final chamber or it is the cave before the prisoners make it out of the, um, make it out to sunlight. It's, you know, whatever it is. Um, If you're ad-libbing, you may not know exactly where it is, but you may, but you should know what it is. Like, you should know, like, oh, it's a big fight. It's a, go ahead. Yeah, I, this this one always makes me think of the Magical Girls games that I used to run as one-shots a lot because there's tropes and stuff in that as a genre that tell me what that climax looks like, right? Like, I know it's going to be a confrontation between all of my girls and the power of friendship and the big bad, whoever that is, what the, whatever that looks like, the, the where and the how and the what um, that kind of stuff is more determined by where the players have ended up 
Um, like I do not plan that, but I know that there's going to be that big confrontation at the end of the game with my big bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, like if I'm prepping it, sometimes I will know like, Hey, all the, you know, no matter which branch of the uh, dungeon you go down where we all wind up in the final chamber. Right. Like, all, kind of thing. All, all doorways lead to here. Yep. And the thing that, and the thing about it is whether you're prepping it or ad-libbing it, you don't want to, when you make the set piece encounter, you don't want to make a solution for it. You just want to present the problem. I just wrote a whole article on this on Gnome Stew. If you go to and look for it, it's called Problems, Not Solutions. I won't go into it any deeper here. But what it, what it means is create a problem let the players figure out how they want to engage it. Maybe they don't want to straight up fight the dragon. They're going to go with some stealth or an ambush, or they're going to negotiate to get all the other monsters in the dungeon to, you know, to go attack it or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. What you want to create is like, hey, my set piece is this dragon in like this chamber with like some other cool things that are going on in the chamber, whatever. And then leave it up to the players to figure out how they want to solve that and let them move, let them create that solution through play. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm just going to basically actually say my next one is kind of a footnote to that first piece, which is um, when it is less prepped and more ad-libbed and improvised. I think the key thing to remember is that whatever you do is that end set piece climax is logical and flows from what has happened in the game, right? Um, so that means you may have set yourself up. The, the practice of improvising a game is partially the practice of um, leaving yourself cool setups to be able to tie back to them later when you get to that end point, but the players will do it too, right? Even if you don't do it. Um, and sometimes they're better at it, right? Like, and that's fine. Sure. But the thing is, um, when I'm improvising a game, um, my set piece encounter climax is the logical conclusion for my big bad. I don't know what the players are going to do. I don't know like anything. Basically, I, I had an idea for the first scene and I know who my big bad is and then we just play, right? But I know how that... Um, big bad will react to the things the players will do because I know what their end goal is. So they're going to logically address the things that the players are doing until they end up in a confrontation, which again will be logical because they have an opposing goal to what the players are doing um, that will push them into this situation. And their setup and their reactions and everything during that scene are all shaped by the stuff the players did to get to that point. But I think the key thing is that. Um, you know, having not prepped, how do we get from A to B? Um, the key thing is that I'm following the logic um, of what the players have done from the perspective of the big bad to react to it and end up in mm-hmm. that final set piece encounter. Does that? So I guess that's not really yeah. a point too. It's more like, here's how I really do it from an improvised per- perspective instead of more of a planned perspective, maybe. Yeah. Um, that's fine. Yeah. That's cool. legit. Anyway. I put, I just, I just slipped that in there. Um, our next point is to make the stakes of that strong ending, make the stakes of the ent- ending high and have high emotional investment. Hopefully you, hopefully you've given yourself the seeds to be able to pull high emotional investment in that ending. Um, back to my magical girl example, a frequent magical girl trope 
is that there's there's frequently a magical girl that you used to work with who is missing or you think is dead, right? All of these things. And uh, the climax is such a beautiful place to bring that person back in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For example, right? right? Yes. Perfect. Uh, cool. Um, the next one is uh, make the objective of the climactic scene clear, but not easy. Yes. Uh, just because the players know exactly what has to get done does not mean it is easy to get it done. Yes. Um, keep keep those two separate, but make it clear. If players don't know when they like, if they don't know right before the scene heading into the climax, what they need to do. Yeah. Then you've got a problem, right? Yeah. You need to like you like you either have not given enough information or they have too many choices and haven't settled on one, whatever it is. But it should be clear to them as they reach the climactic scene, like we are fighting this dragon or this ritual must be stopped. This program yeah. has to be uh, crashed before it completes and launches, you know, all the weapons, whatever it is. Like it should be very clear to the players what that is you don't want them wandering into you don't want them wandering into the climax you want them charging into that climactic scene yes yep for sure which means they have to understand the stakes i yeah. would also say right if they yeah, don't understand absolutely. the stakes of of success or failure as they walk into the climax it's gonna be a well, rough ending <laughs> so here's the thing stakes create emotion right mm -hmm. objectives are what drives action Right. Which you want both. You want the stakes to be known because you want to create a sense of urgency, a set of des desperation, whatever. But but if you create that without the objective being clear, they are highly charged, but unaimed. Yes. Right. And if you don't do a good job of explaining the stakes, but it's very clear what they have to do, they can be unmotivated. Yeah. And not care. right because go it's like, well, thing, we have to go kill care. the dragon. Yeah. But why? Yeah. Like he's just living in the, like he's just living in the cave. Living like, his life. Why, why are we, you know, why are we doing that? It, as opposed to, oh, when the moon reaches its apex, like on the next, you know, in the next night, the dragon will leave its, you know, it will leave its chamber and it will raise the town below as yep. it has done every hundred years. Yep. <laughs> like, so there's a big difference there, right? Like the objective is the same. Go kill the dragon. But in the one where it's just living in there, you're just like, I, I don't but know. Why? <laughs> like, why should, like, why? It's just there. Hopefully it's a majestic there's some other creature. Reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but having like the big stakes creates that kind of emotional outline to it that then they can run in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, more ideas, right? Um, yep. You can set set up your opposition to come in waves. So depending on what you're doing, sometimes this looks like, you know, a battle scene and there's like the initial wave of combat and then like you're like, <laughs> and there's a pause and they're like, and then there's the next wave, like as just as that first wave is starting to slow down. Sometimes this looks like, um, you know, big bad and they have, you know, video game style like little dudes pop up at certain points and you know you have to fight those off too or sometimes this means big bad goes through um you know evolutions you get them down to half hit points 
they're bloodied to steal a fourth edition term or however you want to say it. Maybe they do a complete video game transformation and turn into a different thing. Um, <laughs> like uh, all of this kind of stuff. If you are managing time with this climax, right? So, so this is yeah. important because it has to fit, has to fit well, into the end of your game. And, and here's how waves um, wind up working. Mm-hmm. If you are, so if you put all of the monsters in the room at once, yeah. then the players know that the encounter isn't over until they defeat all the monsters. Now, you could make them run away, but it'll seem kind of weak that, you know, like, you know, maybe it'll seem kind of weak, maybe it won't. If you have them appear in waves, you can do a little bit of sleight of GM sleight of hand here. So yes. if the adventure, um, is going slower than you expected. You just don't have to put any more waves yep. into the room, yep. and they can just finish off what's there. And huzzah! You've defeated all the monsters, success. right? Very right. successful, right? Just do one, one, one phase of the big bad. It doesn't end up converting into the next one, right? Just A- okay, exactly. cool. You killed it. <laughs> if um, if they tear through the whatever everything that's in the room and you're looking at the time and you're like boy i got a lot of time left here comes wave number two right or wave number three like whatever you know whatever it is and what that does is it lets you um stretch out your time incrementally yes but at any time you can just not include any more waves and let them mop up what's left and it's very satisfying yeah it's good okay cool um the next one and boy (laughs) i know we have at least one episode i think we have more than one one episode probably more than one (laughs) do not skip the denouement and what we mean by this and again go look up our denouement episode but what we mean by this is that yes the climactic big battle is part of the ending of the game. But then after it's over, you want to have some time to be able to talk about what happened after. If you're playing a one-shot, and again, using the idea that you're playing a four-hour convention one-shot, if you play your one-shot and at um, three hours and 55 minutes, you finally defeat the dragon, sure, that's satisfying. But remember when we told you that you need to close loops? Mm-hmm. Well, you won't have time. You'll have five minutes to try to close all these loops and you're going to ham be, fist oof. it. Yep. You're just yeah. going to ham fist it. It's going to be, it's going to be messy. Been so there, done you, that. <laughs> right. You want Haven't to have some denouement where, yes, we have defeated the dragon, but now we talk about going back to the village and maybe you found a ring and you're going to propose to your girlfriend in the village because that was a thing we set up at the beginning and like like all of those things and let you close off your loops. Yes. And then it will be cool. very satisfying. Good. Yeah, very. People, people like that a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other piece to that climax is that your choices during the rising action of the story itself should affect the climax. So just partially, partially goes with the logic, right? When I'm improvising a game, but like the choices that the characters made as they um, continued along the path towards that final confrontation 
they should matter, right? It should matter that they picked up the ring or didn't pick up the ring. It should matter that they're sneaking. (laughs) Yeah. So it should matter in two ways. It should matter to the narrative. Mm -hmm. But even better is when it matters mechanically. Well, then it should matter for both, right? It shouldn't ever matter. No, that's what I'm saying. Like the best, the best is to do both. Like you'll always, like you'll always make it matter narratively. Like you snuck versus you stormed. But there should be a mechanic, like when you get to the climax, and this is, again, this is a thing of making players feel like their choices matter, is um, if you sneak Uh, You don't go through the front door of the dragon's chamber. You come out on this, um, you come out above the chamber, like in the wall of the chamber, high up in the chamber, that gives you a chance to launch a sneak attack on the dragon. Right? Because if, if you snuck versus fight and we all just wind up at the front door, what was like, there's a point, but it was like, it wasn't a great point, right? It doesn't it really tie into the ending. Yeah, it didn't matter mechanically to how you ended up approaching the problem. Exactly. So I like when I'm prepping, um, I use, you know, often what's called a branch, um, a linear branch structure for my, um, for my adventures. And what I make sure that I do is that every branch Whichever branch you go down to get to the ending, you get something for doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting from the perspective of doing less specific prep work because um, branches are something that it's not like they're a very effective tool. My brain doesn't like them. Um, because it is like, um, now I must discover all of the branches, um, or branches exist. So I must force the players into them, which when it comes right down to it, this is why I improv games is because if I give myself any prep, then I tend to get way too controlling about the game. But the interesting thing about doing this from a more improvised perspective, I won't say that I don't do any prep, right? We've talked about this before, but from a more improvised perspective for that rising action and sort of the middle metal part of the game, um, is that the decisions that I'm making as a GM and the things that I'm saying back to my players, um, the other options don't even exist, right? Like everything is logically coming from the fact that they snuck and they didn't storm. So they get results based on sneaking that are inevitably different than they would have been if they had come in like with swords on fire. Um, and so it's it's interesting from that perspective. Basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is it matters in improv improvised games too because the way that you play off of each other is always inevitably going to make it matter um, in some way. And the thing you can do as a GM is make sure that that matters mechanically as well as narratively in terms of, you know, the way that they approach a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, lastly, um, after the denouement, you'll think like, oh, it's done. Mm-hmm. Not quite yet. Um, <laughs> with time permitting, leave a few minutes at the end of the game to kind of do the... Um, reflection, aftercare. Uh, there's another term I, that keeps escaping me. I've been trying to put this, um, I was trying to put the notes together, but I thought there was another term for it. Um, D-roll is like the LARP version of it, but have like a few minutes to actually talk about the game, especially yeah. if you want to do something like uh, Stars and Wishes, like that kind of, or if you want feedback or if you want to compliment 
players, right? Like, again, if we're talking about the four-hour con game, if your denouement ends at um, three hours, 59 minutes, the next thing people do is pack up their shit and leave. Quickly. Right? Because they probably are trying to get to another game. Or they have a limited amount of time to eat before they get to their next game. So they're going to be like, hey, thanks, great game, shoving their stuff into their backpacks and then taking off. (laughs) Yeah. But if you want to take a few minutes to savor it and... And again, this leads to satisfaction. If your game ends at three hours, 50, if your denouement ends at three hours, 50 minutes, you have 10 minutes as people pack up to be like, hey, this was a really good game. What did you guys think? You know, what did you like about it? Or, you know, do you want to, you know, like, let's go around the table and talk about like somebody who did something cool in the game, that kind of thing. Yeah, like, oh, geez, I I loved that part where XYZ happened. That was so unbelievably cool. Um, I can't wait to, you know, Go home and tell my friends. I don't know. For me, it's like, I'm going to talk about this on my podcast. (laughs) Sometimes this is where I will tell players what the other branch was. So I will say to them like, oh, if you didn't take the stealth branch and, you know, you went, you know, through, you know, all the fighting, you would have picked up these extra weapons. Like, or, you know, that kind of thing. Like that would, you know, I will just tell them like, oh, that's the mechanical bit you would have gotten. Yeah. Had you gone that route, like some that's that's usually where I kind of show off a few of those, not show off, but <laughs> reveal a few of those things just to give people an idea. Or if it's something like uh, my Hydro Hackers game, where I, there's one in particular that's a heist, um, that uh, I will just tell players afterwards during this section, like what other players have done, because a lot yeah. of times people want to know how their solution kind of stacked up against other solutions. Yeah, they just want to know, like, like, oh, like, what what do we do compared to other people? It's, yeah, like, it's oh, you really guys, fun. like, you guys, <laughs> like, oh, you guys, like, totally blew me away. Like, you know, no other group has ever attempted, like, to steal the, you know, the ice while it was in the air kind of thing. Like, yeah, which is great. Yeah. It's fun to hear that stuff from from GMs who have run a one shot over and over and over again. Um, yeah. People will actually ask me that, too, because there are also one shots that I have run over and over and over again. Right. Um, but many of them change every time, no matter what, just because you roll for like what the plot is, but some of them don't. And some of them, it's really interesting because people have heard me run them on She's a Super Geek and then now they're playing them, but it's going to happen differently. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So cool. So a lot of the stuff that we talked about in time, man, talked about in strong endings does require a level of time management. Yes. Uh, which is like, I, I will tell you that running one shots, this time management is probably the hardest part of running one shots. It is. is to do everything <laughs> that we just said and stick the landing with enough time. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to give you a rough idea of how I run a four hour one shot um, prepped or not prepped. Like if this was prepped or improv, these are the rough timings I use. Um, and I think they're not too far off from you either. Yeah, so, I probably spend a little bit less time at the very, very beginning, but I think that's pretty sure. much it. Oh, uh, yeah. And it'll do, and mine depends again on how much setting I have to. Yeah. Depends feed on you what before game it is. Okay. Exactly. So let's take four hour one shot convention based. Sure. Um, before the game starts, if I can get to the table, Yep. I am already at the table. And a lot of times conventions um, allow this, like they don't stack tables. They'll like, they leave like a gap between them. So if I get to the table early, I get there and set up my stuff. 
I get the character yep. sheets out. I get my shit out on the table so that when players arrive, I'm saying hi to them. I'm, you know, telling if I can even use that time to tell you a little extra about the game, I'm going to do that, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. All right. At zero minutes in the first 30 minutes, we are going to do session zero. We're going to do all the housekeeping stuff I said you should have scripted. We're going to do character selection or character creation, right? Depending mm -hmm. on the game. Like if this is, you know, something like a D&D &D game, I'm going to have pre-gens on the table. If this is a PBTA game, I'm going to have the playbooks out. You're going to pick your playbooks. And like in that first half hour, I want to get us through making all that stuff as yep. much as possible. Okay. Yep. After that first half hour, the next um, 45 minutes the opening, mm -hmm. right? We're going to introduce, we're going to do a little intro on our characters. Some shit's going to happen. You're going to roll some dice. Uh, you're going to discover what it is we have to do. We get that, we get that opening open, opened up. The next one and a half hours, rising action, mm -hmm. right? Try fail cycles, rising action, whatever you want to call it. This is the exploring, the doing, the learning, fighting some extra stuff, having some scenes, all of that. At the third hour, top of hour three, climactic scene. Mm -hmm. Like we are already having the climactic scene and we need about a half hour for this. Um, if I think that that climactic scene is going to take longer, it eats into the rising action then, not the yes. other direction. Right. Yes. So <laughs> if I need the, if the climax is going to be really complicated, then we're going to um, then we're going to have, you know, we're going to end the rising action at two and a half hours at two hours, 45 minutes. We are not going to eat into the other direction. All right. Climax ends three and a half hours into the session. Next 15 minutes is denouement. 15 minutes of going around the table. We're not rolling any more dice. We're just kind of talking about what, like, what you do after you heist the thing, defeat the dragon. Close the loops. Closing loops, right? 15 minutes of closing loops. Last 15 minutes, we're cleaning up and having some reflection time. Mm -hmm. Right? At three hours, 45 minutes, I am like, well, that's everything I have, everybody. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this. And then, you know, we can talk about it for a few minutes before we all have to depart. And if you need to leave early to get to your next session, feel free to, you know, just grab your stuff and head off. Yep. And it feels then really comfortable and relaxed and you got everything in. And when you nail this kind of time frame, it's like, hooray. But I think the key, the really, really key thing for us to call out about the timeline that you've just laid out is that when you remove the housekeeping setup stuff and you remove the denouement and or, uh, sorry, not the denouement, but the reflection at the end, right? When you pull those two pieces out, you are running a game for three hours and 15 minutes which means you should be prepping a game that lasts, that you're anticipating more for about three hours. A four-hour slot means a three-hour game. Yeah. Yeah. And so let me also mention what's not in here that's probably going to happen between Breaks. the rising action and the climax is a bio break. <laughs> a bio break. People need to go to the restroom. Sometimes they need to get snacks. Sometimes your game's right over lunch. Sometimes they haven't gotten to eat yet that day. And, you that, know? and that's that 15 minutes. Exactly. So really, it's a your actual game. game time is a three-hour game in a four-hour bucket. Yeah. Assume mm -hmm. that that one hour gets chewed up for all the other parts. Yeah. Never, ever plan a four-hour game for a four-hour slot. 
Well, and this is and this is where where people make time management problems, right? A yes. very common time management problem is that you have written a four hour game in a four hour slot, and that is not how this works. Nope. Um, you have put too much game in, which means that what's going to happen is you are going to either have to cut or you're going to have to do some edits or rush the rising action. Yep. You're going to do the climax, but not the denouement because you're going to eat into that time going forward. And maybe you'll do the denouement at like, maybe you'll do the denouement as people are like cleaning up the table. Yeah. If and you're lucky. You're, right. If you're lucky, like you will like, so what you want is you want to pack less. And again, this is where that wave thing really yeah. pays off is because it allows you, um, when you hit the time, when you hit the climactic scene, it allows you to kind of um, adjust. If you were going too fast, it allows you to stretch it out a little. If you were going too slow, it allows you to speed up a little. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Perfect. Excellent. Very good. Okay. So um, when we get to the ending, right, we want to bring about closure to the story, closure to our characters. Um, so we mentioned this before, you can't get into a ton of loops here. Yeah, which means you have to keep your plot from getting too complicated. Like you you have to do this clean and the the tasks don't have to be easy, but they can't be complicated, right? So can't make the plot and I, complicated and you can't make the character arcs complicated. Right. These are one-shot characters. They do not require like they do not require five arcs, right? Like yes. <laughs> of, of, of shit going on. Like they do not require, they require like a thing outside of the story. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe two things, but that's even pushing it. Yes. Okay. So um, another thing about this is avoid the trap of complicated equals good, fancy, or sophisticated. Complicated is complicated, right? Yeah. Strive for simple and well executed. Yeah. Think of this like when you're watching a cooking show and someone suddenly breaks out some classic dish that's supposed to be like really easy to do, but they do it perfectly and then everybody raves about it and it's the most amazing thing and they win over all the really complicated dishes with, you know, everything else. Like that's what you're aiming for. Perfection, yeah. not complication. <laughs> you know, we're not going to get yeah, it perfect. If you want to do some complicated shit, save it for a campaign. Save yes. it for when you have time to like really build out stories and put in some false directions and loopbacks and things like that. Not in a one shot. No. Okay. Let me say this um, about timing. Yes. No one complains about a good, simple story that ends a bit early. Not super early, but ends a bit early. But people will complain of a complicated story that runs out of time. Yeah. Yeah, because they didn't get to close any of the loops and they just sit there like, well, now what? Right? Yes. So much, so much that. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Um, in, in terms of talking about endings, we have hit the one hour mark. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, must we're now end our show. <laughs> we're so, going long. <laughs> so I think we've made our points. They're mm -hmm. solid. Excellent. Um, so 
just do all the things we said or pick the things you need to do. But like that is um, our best advice on solid openings and solid endings and a little bit of time management about one shots tossed in there for free. Senda, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network so I can get us to the conclusion of this show. Yeah, absolutely. This is the first time I get to read the updated blurb for bonus experience, which is changing a little bit. So if you haven't listened before and this one, this sounds interesting, like jump in. So um, on bonus experience, you can hear Monica and her friends explore gameplay and design through the lens of diversity while also sharing some of the dumbest humor that gaming has to offer. And sometimes that'll include Ray, but it's going to be like a whole rotating cast of people. Lots of cool people. Oh, to interesting. Mm hmm. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff indeed. Cool. Say, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Well, you can still find us on Twitter for the moment at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us both individually on Dice.Camp and Mastodon, which is Idella Mithland and DNA of Phil. You can find us in the Misdirected Mark forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com, or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com, or you can leave us videos on uh, TikTok. And that is also. Idella Mifflin and DNA Phil. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, what can they do with that information? Just like Robin did, leave us some questions, a topic, something that you would benefit from hearing us talk about that would help you uh, run your game more efficiently, have more fun when you run it, um, or just, you know, any combination of those two. Like, Whatever it is, we want to help out. And the way that we can help out is when you send us something, uh, we share our best ideas on it. So uh, we put our brains together. We come up with some best practices, some best ideas, and share them with you in the ultimate hopes that all of this will make your gaming more better fun. And by doing that, I've talked about this equation before, but the more better fun you have running games, the more games you will run. The more games you run, the more games you will play more times your players will get to play and the longer you will stay in this hobby and you do want to stay in this hobby. There's a lot of fun to be had in here for a long, long time, says the <laughs> old guy. Um, if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. You get access to the Bamboo Lounge, which is coming up right after this. The Misdirected Mark After Show, the Slack Room for Life, our Friday lunches, uh, which we've been getting some new people on. It's really cool to get Great. some uh, some new people in there and talking. Um, as well as at the $4 level, you can get the materials that we keep coming up with for MM Plays. So our um, Children of the Shroud campaign, you can get uh, our campaign materials. That will also include my prep notes uh, for the stories that we're playing after the story runs. So, mm -hmm. cause I can't let Chris, I can't let Chris lay them out yeah, uh, no. while like <laughs> before, before he's we played play them. them. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. So he has to wait until we play through the story, but then I will turn over my note. I will not only turn over my notes. I may, I'm not hundred percent sure yet. I may turn over my what's going on documents, but Ooh. my what's going on documents often have some foreshadowing might, and I don't think I want to ruin it for people. So I think I just want to show you the notes so that you can, if you're interested, compare what I prepped the game for and what and actually what happened. happened during the game, because yeah. there is definitely a Delta 
between those two things. Yeah. Um, I think maybe maybe when the whole game is done, when you finish the campaign, at that point, oh, you could totally show the what's yes, going on. Yes, I right? could do that. Yeah. Because because there's a good chance I will change my mind on some shit in the middle yes. of it. Yes. That you will see like, oh, in the beginning, I was totally going to do this, but I didn't. Like, and I, I was redefined like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, what do I normally say? Oh, if you're backing the patron, thank you so very much. It helps us um, do everything that we do to make these shows for you. If you are unable to back our Patreon campaign, we completely understand. And um, there's still a thing you can do that's helpful for t- us. Uh, send up. What's that thing? Well, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Um, most of them use reviews just to kind of, you know, d- decide what they're going to show people when people either do searches or, you know, what's on the front page. Not that I think we've really been on the front page, but whatever. Um, you know, maybe. A um, panda can dream. A panda can dream. Um, anyway, uh, we really, really appreciate those. And we love seeing those reviews. They make us feel so warm and fuzzy inside. So thank you so much to everybody who already left a review. And thank you to everybody who's going to leave a review. And if you don't like any of those options, and actually sometimes I think it's more helpful, you can just tell a friend. Yeah, <laughs> we love when you do that. That actually um, often nets us um, listeners directly. Yeah, because... Like because word then, of mouth helps. Yeah, because it's a little bit more personal and like you're recommending it to someone that you know will actually maybe enjoy it instead of just the internet randomizing things, right? So it's, yeah, it's it tends to be more effective. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Say Senda. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. <laughs> There's no question. I was going for the, I was going for the, the, the yeah. Okay. Well, we've mismanaged our time, so we have to do a quick ending. Oh, so um, you're right. We're just gonna we're just gonna cut it off. There's no Janema. Okay. <laughs> This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Show me what you got, eh? Show me what you got. Show me what you got, eh? Show me what you got. Show me what you got, eh? Bloop! Yeah. Clicky, clicky. I'm gonna change around my microphone, make terrible noises now instead of later. Yeah, it's okay. I'm just checking to make sure all my stuff is good. I think I'm just gonna move my mic in a little closer mm-hmm. and see if that... You sound, you sound good now, although I am not see getting video. See if that's video. a little better. Oh, Should hang on. <laughs> no, just I had enough problems. Started you know, slowly. Yeah, no, no, no. I know. Yeah, I can see okay. you now. Hi. There. Hi. I like Sorry. your face. You're okay. I know. I'm just <laughs> tired. Just bloop. I had, I had to get up an extra hour early because of uh, rehearsal stuff. So I'm extra tired. Also, it means I ate breakfast early, which means I'm hungry. But like, mm, I just we got to record. I'm gonna get hangry soon. Yep. Okay. Or we're gonna get or or tangry, or sleepy. Yeah. Tangry, tired, angry. Tangry is a tangry is probably more common for me than hangry. I'm big. Tang- I like have a lot of reserves to go tangry off. Tangry of, is but if I get not tired, good for me. <laughs> Bloop. Welcome back from your 10 second meditation. Thanks. You ready to jump in? Yeah, I think so. Okay. See if I get it right. <laughs> Bloop. Do 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 do
Tell me what you got. Uh, uh. <laughs> Where is Ryan going to cut that? Here, right here. <laughs> right here. He doesn't cut it. He that, just, was, yeah. that was the place. Okay. Yeah. Now you know, Ryan. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. You have to like, make let sense. us talk about it and then drop the music in. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's got good comedic timing. He'll know where to drop it for it to make yeah, sense. Yeah, they're really good at this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super appreciate it. 